Our passage today is from Colossians 1, 15 through 23 in the message translation. We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From the beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in God without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what God does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of God, giving God trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in God's presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets this same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. Today we will wrap up our Faces of Our Faith series with the one face of our faith who is the foundation for it all, and that's Jesus, the one that holds it all together, the one who holds all of us, our joys and sorrows and triumphs, our disappointments, our mistakes and failures, Christ holds all of those together, the one who holds the people that we love, the people we don't really love that much. Even Christ holds all of those things together. And that's really good news because when life falls apart, we, we cannot keep it together. Not that we ever truly can, but we like to pretend that we are holding it all together. We try to maintain that we are okay. We are fine. We don't want people to worry so much about us, right? We don't want to be a burden. We don't want to be a bother. We don't want anyone to feel obligated to help us in that mess that we're in. We want to say, I got this, or even better, Jesus has got this, or I'm too blessed to be stressed. But the truth is, when life falls apart, we are not okay and we are not fine. And we need someone to worry about us, to worry with us, 
We need someone to bear this burden with. When something happens and our way is suddenly dark and we don't know where the next step will be, and we're asking ourselves, what do I do next? Can I survive this? Will my family survive this? These are the circumstances that are so scary in our lives. It is possible that the worst things could happen. We don't have a promise that we will get through these things unscathed. We might very well get very scathed. Or someone we love is scathed. It could go so many different ways, and the darkness of that reality can leave us feeling hopeless. But today I hope that as we look at this hymn in Colossians, that maybe we could find some reassurance that even in the middle of a disaster, we can trust that Christ holds all things together. There's an acquaintance of mine back home in Huntsville, and she is drop-dead gorgeous. She's blonde, wavy hair that just, you know, the curls are just perfect. You know, they just lay really perfect, and they never move. She's in her early 50s, not that you could tell that by looking at her. Blue eyes, trim figure, just a beautiful woman inside and out. Her husband ain't too shabby either, but I won't get into that. They have four grown children, all blonde, all beautiful. They live in a beautiful home with this picturesque setting. It like sits on the top of a hill, and it's got this valley down below with a fishing pond and a zip line. I mean, it's just divine. Every time I was around them, I felt just a little bit envious. But someone told me that although they have been married for over 30 years, her husband has never seen her without makeup. I'm not kidding. She refuses to let him see her without a full set of makeup on. She waits until the lights are out and cleans her face at night after her husband goes to sleep. She gets up in the morning before him and puts her full face of makeup on and curls her hair. Her kids have told this story to me. Her kids are the same age as mine, so, you know, youth trips, mission trips, you get the dirt on mom and dad, right? This was verified by the children. It is a thing. Someone as beautiful as she is doesn't believe it unless she's completely made up. This facade for my friend must give her some kind of worth. Does she really think her husband won't love her if he sees her without a full face of makeup and hair curled just so? I've been with him so many times. He is crazy in love with her. I don't know. But it's something that I found to be curious, maybe even a little sad. Annie Gage says, when you look at the Pottery Barn magazine, remember, no one is home. <laughs> right? My house could look like that too, but I live there. <laughs> Other people's lives may look better than ours. They may have a newer car, a bigger house. They may take better vacations. But surely we have all lived long enough to know that even though the house the Joneses live in, we do know that there is pain under their roof too. There's pain under that roof too. They are fighting spouses, belligerent children, unpaid bills, anxious doctor visits, and a lot of cussing. And we know this because our lives are this. 
we experience estrangement from our adult children. We go through divorce. We get an unexpected medical diagnosis. We get plumbing issues, canceled vacations, and battles with our children over homework, screen time, blah, 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 blah. And we do a lot of cussing. Or maybe I'm just describing my family. Colossians 1.15 says, We look at the sun and see God who cannot be seen. How do we know the heart and the character of God? We just have to look at Jesus. Jesus was kind and generous and forgiving and accepting and loving and unselfish, especially with people of society that everyone else ignored or thought were less than, the people on the margins. He reserved his harshest criticism for those that thought they didn't need anything other than their own righteousness. Jesus said, you people need it the most. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the revealed word of God. There's no bait and switch with Jesus. You don't see some false version. What you see is what you get. There's no facade. Jesus reflects the image of God. And God is not two-faced. God is who God says God is. God doesn't have a bad side. God doesn't have a dark side. God is light, truth, and all that is good. That is the image of God that we should see. God is not hidden from us. God is not purposefully being unknowable or vague or unrelatable. And yes, there is mystery when it comes to God, for sure. We are not, but we are not left without clues to what God looks like, of who God is. We have the life of Jesus. That is who God is. That is what God is like. Our God is who God says God is. I am that I am. Remember? I will be who I will be. And because Christ tells us to follow God, we will have our own cross to pick up and, and, and choose, if we choose to follow God. We don't get sunshine and rainbows all the time. It will be hard at times. None of us get the get-out-of-jail-free card. Being a follower of Jesus does not exempt us from pain, loss, betrayal. None of us get out of this life without scars. Sometimes the worst things that happen to us do not get taken away from us. We have to endure the whole terrible thing. I don't know why. Another mystery. But it is the truth of our human condition. And we all live with those realities. Verse 15 through 16 reads, We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. This cosmic Christ was there before anything came into existence. Christ has creating agency. And all things to Christ cohere. In the New Interpreter's Bible, they say, the one who, because of his pre-existence, helped to bring all things into being is also the one who continues to sustain the whole creations and prevent its disintegration into chaos. In verse 17, we read that he was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it all together like a head does a body. 
For just a second, I'd like for us to take a look at this word holds. This word holds. The King James uses the word consist. All things consist in God, in Jesus. The Passion, tra- the Passion Translation reads like this. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him. The Amplified, and he himself existed and is before all things, and in him all things hold together. His is the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. We may not have control of this disaster. Someone does. Christ holds all things together. The word holds from the message translation can mean different things, but for this word hold in Colossians, there are two that apply. To place together, to set in the same place, to bring or band together, or to put together, unite parts into a whole. I'm going to ask for some feedback on this one, okay? And if you're not used to speaking in the middle of a sermon, I'm giving you permission to, all right? How many in the room have someone in your life who you would describe, oh, that person gives the best hugs? Has anybody got one of those in their lives? Do you want to tell us who that is? Anyone? Yes. Oh, Maggie says Matt. And Matt says Maggie. Smart move, man. You did. He did have his hand up first. I'll give him that. Anyone else? Yes. I was going to say my friend JD, but then I looked and saw Josh. Oh, Tim says Josh. Josh does give good hugs. Anyone else? Oh. Angela says her roommate, he gives her the best. I'm sorry? Oh, her oldest roommate who gives the best hugs. Yes. Yes, sir. So his mommy, Meg, does. Who else? Yes, ma'am. Ruth says Ed does. That's very kind. How many times have we been hurting or scared or worn down and we are barely keeping it together and one of our children or grandchildren just gives us a hug or our partner or parent or grandparent? What do we feel at that moment? What do you feel in that moment when you get that hug? Yes. Maggie says she feels home and safe. Yes. Kellyanne says connection. You're not alone. Yes. Sinandra says comfort. Just for a moment, when we are in the arms of someone who loves us, we can breathe. We can cry. We can fall apart. We can feel okay for just a moment, maybe even think, I can do this now. In that moment, that person is Jesus with skin on. I've used this phrase so many times over the years when I'm hurting or 
scared or feel unsafe or can't see where I'm going. I, I will pray, God, I get that you're there. I get it. But today I really could use Jesus with skin on. Is that so big of a thing to ask? And it's not. It's not. There are moments where knowing intellectually that Christ holds us is just not enough. We need a physical body. We need a hug. Someone to hold us tight, to stroke our back and whisper, it's okay. We need someone to say, you don't have to pretend with me. I know you're hurting. You do not have to hide that from me. Cry, scream, cuss. A theme for me, it seems. I can take you at your worst when your faith is gone and everyone has let you down. Even God, I got you. We all need that. Where words on the page from the book of Colossians are not enough. We need Jesus with some skin on. And that is where the body of Christ, the church, comes in. At our best, we can live into that, bearing one another's burdens. Someone to say to us, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be exceedingly well. In verse 17, we see that not only does Jesus hold us together, he holds the church together, united parts into a whole. It's not me or Josh that holds us together. It's Jesus. And let me add, if either one of us or another pastor or spiritual leader tries to be the holder of all of us, we will fail. We will fail you. Our job is to remind you that we are held by Christ. Imago is held by Christ. Our job is to remind you that you are God's beloved and you are made in God's image and God is for you and not against you. Christ holds all the joyful, happy, broken, and dislocated pieces of our life. And Christ also holds all of Imago's joys and broken in dislocated pieces together too. Verse 18 tells us that Christ was supreme in the beginning and will be supreme in the end. Christ leads the resurrection parade. You know, we've all been to a parade, right? At some point in our life. It's not just one person going to a parade, right? It's like a lot of people. And we all understand that it takes a lot of people to put a parade on, right? So many things that go on behind the scenes that we don't see and don't understand. Christ is not in a parade of one. We are invited to be in the parade with him. And why a parade? Because God, Christ's resurrection is good news. It is a reason to celebrate. Why? Because the death of Christ was not the last word. Death did not get what it wanted. It has no reason to be proud. In the words of John Donne, so death, if your sleep, if your sleep be the gates to heaven, why your confidence? when you will be no more, for even death will die. Anne Lamont says that grace always bats last. And because Christ was resurrected, so, we, so will we be. Grace bats last. When we're surrounded with all this pain and fears and doubts and struggles, wondering how this is all going to work out, there's hope that knowing that Christ was resurrected and that we will be, resurre be resurrected one day too. But in the moment right here and right now, 
we need to know that Christ does hold all things together. So how does a resurrection parade transform me when I'm in the eye of the storm? How does that work when our world is falling apart? Wendell Berry says to be joyful though you have considered the facts. Practice resurrection. Be joyful even though you've considered the facts. Practice resurrection. We're going to have to look for it to practice resurrection. To search for just a sliver of joy in the middle of chaos and disaster. We will have to pay attention to find that sliver. And it might only be a sliver. It might be a song on the radio. It might be a phone call from a friend. It might be a scripture that we'd forgotten about. It might be someone we speak to in a grocery store that we've never seen before. And they say something so random. But she gives you just one sliver of joy. When we get that sliver of joy, we can briefly smile, breathe, rest, let go. That is practicing resurrection, my friends. All of us have memories of meeting our spouse, our partner, or someone we really cared for. It was so important that the worst things about us were not even close to being displayed. You know those first dates and such. We put on our best. Just like my friend that I told you about at the beginning of the sermon, our best is looking attractive. We don't show up to first dates with stains on our clothes and wrinkled pants. We don't show up to first dates with our teeth unbrushed or our hair unbrushed. I hope we don't do that. We don't want this potential love interest to know some hard things and some bad things about us right off the bat, right? We don't want them to know that we cheated on our last girlfriend. We don't want her to know that sometimes when life gets really hard, we might drink too much. We don't want him to know all the scars that we've left on other people. As Anne Lamont says, we don't want them to see our damage, how petty we can be, our mean streak, or how ordinary we are. We put on our best face, with or without makeup, fix our hair just so, perfume, the outfit that our 48-year-old body, which has birthed four kids and has loved cheesecake and Dr. Pepper just a little bit too much, an outfit that enhances our best and not the deficits. Usually for me, it's just all black. He doesn't need to see that my arms flap in the wind. He doesn't need to know that I might cuss a little bit more than I should. I need help. Somebody needs to help me here. He must not know that I can be judgy and rude and impatient and prejudiced and jealous and insecure and unkind and rude. In Anne Lamott's book, Dust Night Dawn, she has a chapter entitled, Can You Love Me Now? Anne has been unmarried for most of her life, and she's into her 60s now, and she met the love of her life just a couple of years ago, and they are the cutest, sweetest things. But she tried so hard to not let her new husband, Neil, see the worst of her, right? She tried as long as she could. She didn't want him to see her neuroses, her propensities to addiction, her anxieties, her depressions, her triggers, her traumas, her baggage, her damage, how ordinary she really is, how petty and mean she can be. Would he still love her? 
After he sees the worst, she asks, can you love me now? My fiancé would say to me after we'd been together for a few weeks and we had both been on our best behavior. I can share this because it's kind of fresh, okay? He said, okay, now it's time to reveal the real us. Show me your worst. I don't want just your good. I want all of your bad, too. You don't have to pretend so hard anymore. I'm falling in love with you. Show me who you really are. Man, that's terrifying. But it's also beautiful and liberating. But after I show you all these bruised parts of me, can you love me now? Can you love me in spite of my broken and dislocated pieces? Can God love us in spite of our broken and dislocated pieces? In Colossians, we read that God is so spacious, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place without crowding. All the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. When it's dark and you don't believe the words on this page, do you have someone who can be Jesus with skin on to you? If you don't, let me know. I'll find you someone. It is easy to believe these passages in Colossians when times are good. But to walk it out as a matter of faith when the rug gets pulled out from underneath us, that's another thing. This class that we're starting today, Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren, she introduces us to the practice of Compline. Warren is an Anglican priest, so this might be a practice that is unfamiliar to you, and it is to me, and I'm excited to learn more about it. So I'm going to read just a little bit about what this is. Basically, Compline is night prayer. It is the church's official bedtime prayer. It is the last prayer of the liturgical day before retiring for a night's rest. Compline invites us to pray for protection in three kinds of sleep. The natural sleep of, light, of night, the sleep of the soul in sinfulness, and the sleep of death at life's end. It is reciting prayers that have been written for us. When everything is so painful that we have no words, it can be comfort to read someone else's. To be in the middle of such anguish that we have no words, to use someone else's, can be a comfort to us. Warren says, Through prayer I dared to believe that God was in the middle of my chaos and pain, whatever was to come. I was reaching for a reality that was larger and more enduring than what I felt in that moment. To live it out as a matter of faith in the middle of a disaster, to admit that we don't have words to pray, to believe in, to cling to, it's freeing to know that, as Warren says, inheriting prayers and practices of the church tether us to belief far more secure, securely than our own vacillating perspective or self-expression. Find ways to connect with God, even when we don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. Through slivers of joy, by practicing resurrection, by reciting prayers from someone who has more faith than us in this moment, borrow someone else's confidence and surety in God. At the very least, secure a good hug from them. Until you get your footing back, while working within the disaster that is yours, borrow someone else's faith. This is the work of the church. Colossians ends with this. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together 
whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. Grounded and steady. Grounded as in the foundation to make it stable, to establish. The grounded part is already accomplished for us. The grounded part was the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That was Jesus' work. Jesus is the one that makes it established and grounded. What's our part? Steady. Now, the word for steady here was a little bit uh, amusing to me because there's absolutely nothing that I like more than just sitting on the couch and reading a book and doing nothing, just being absolutely a sloth. I've admitted a lot of sins to y'all today, dear heavens. I have to rein that back in. This word steady, it means to sit, to be sedentary. That's right. Sit still. We can listen to all the people that we need to listen to and get the best advice that we can. We can read all the scriptures and sing all the songs and come to every church service. We can do all those things, and they will be of benefit to us. But at the end of it all, at some point, we just have to sit. We got to sit. We got to be still. To rest. Knowing that Christ is enough and can handle all of it. Knowing that Christ truly does hold all things together. I want to do something this morning that I've never done in my life. Like I said, all the things I'm revealing this morning. I want to share with you, I've journaled since I was about 14 or 15 years old. I have stacks of journals that nobody knows they can read until I'm dead. I mean, I don't want you getting mad at me like, like Anne Lamont's, no, Gwen, Gwen Doyle, Glennon Doyle says, uh, if, if you wanted me to write better about you, you should have behaved better. No, I actually think that was Anne Lamont. And I tell my children that. Yeah, you should have acted better. Maybe I wouldn't have wrote that. On April the 22nd of 2019, this is what I wrote. I don't know what to do. My job is not supporting us. Can't make the car payment or rent. Do I move in with my daughter? What about Jack's school? He doesn't want to go to that school because of bullying, and I agree. I've applied at so many jobs with nothing. Colby, my oldest son, and Danny got married this weekend in Georgia. Colby did not invite me. I was crushed. I overate all last week. Didn't try to walk or exercise. No schoolwork. Couldn't look at it. I just stopped. Paralyzed by hurt, worry, fear, anxiety. Worried about my own mental health. Maybe Sammy was Sammy's the ex-husband. Maybe he was right after all. Maybe I am crazy. My daughter came and visited with me yesterday after church. We had a nice talk, and it did make me feel a little better. Colby called me last night, not to say he missed me this weekend or say he wanted to come see me, but asking if my other son had gotten home okay because he had been invited to the wedding. I was hurt and couldn't really say anything. I do not know what to do. I do not know how to feel better. I am lonely, scared, feel worthless, and rejected. Wendell Berry says, It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work, 
and that when we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. Lord, I am baffled. I do not know what to do to make this better, but I am ready for my real journey, and I am more than ready to hear some singing. Let it be so. Amen. I wrote that during the week. And when I got to church that Sunday morning, on a morning that I did not want to be there, did not, I went anyway. And when I got there that morning, at the opening of the worship service, that video that we played at the opening of our worship service played. I'd never heard of Julian of Norwich. She's a female mystic from the Middle Ages. She has a fascinating story. I encourage you to Wikipedia her. Those two to three minutes of that video on that morning in Huntsville, Alabama were a sliver of joy for me. Was I smiling or feeling joyful as I watched it? No, I had tears silently streaming down my face. But I was encouraged to keep going. That God had not forgotten me that God is for me and not against me, that I am made in the image of God and I am God's beloved, that all shall be well. And that brought me peace, which is a sliver of joy. On that day, I was able to practice resurrection. And although my situation didn't change for a long time after that, for that moment, for those two to three minutes, I knew I'm going to make it. Sit still. Know that he is God. Even when you can't believe it, Christ really does hold all things together. 